1: Hello, everyone, and thank you so much for tuning in to the Claudio Rosano Show, brought to you by Roscoe Hearing and Allergy Care Center. As always, I want to thank Rick Mitchell for the introductions and my fantastic producer, who I could not do the show without, Mr. Adam Zalouf. Today's guest uh, was on my wish list. I've had several people on the wish list, uh, Jerry Cooney, Mario Andretti, Vince Ferragamo, and our guest today. There was a few other people that uh, that were on the wish list, and I appreciate him taking the time from his busy schedule to be on the show and he is an author of two great books, True Grit, and the book that I discovered uh, our guest today uh, is. Uh, and, and I love the book, and it's called You Need More Money. Uh, he is a speaker. He's done podcasts. He's a very successful businessman. He is the president and of Commercial Fleet Financing. And since 1995, has funded over $1 billion in transportation equipment with an annual business of over $150 million plus. He is also a very successful husband and, more importantly, a father, which, as I said, is most important. Meet our guest today, Mr. Matt Manero. Matt, thank you so much for being on the show today.
2: Claudio, thank you for having me. It's just a pleasure to be with you.
1: That was a hell of an introduction, wasn't it? (laughs) (laughs) and it's all all true and all earned for sure it is it is
2: true and it is earned That's
1: for sure (laughs) i believe it i believe it and uh you know what the first thing i want to ask you um tell us about your childhood uh, where you grew up what were your goals and dreams and 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 how that childhood formed who you are today
2: well it's funny that you start with that question because earlier today i was watching something from Malcolm Gladwell, who wrote the book Outliers. Are, are, are you familiar with that book? I am not. It's a great, great, great book of why are some people successful and why are some people not? And and one of the quotes that Gladwell was saying in the book was, you know, there are, there are different reasons for people's success, right? Some people come from an advantaged upbringing and that creates an advantage in life, right? And some people come from disadvantaged, and that creates an advantage for life. And I think that's the category that I fall in, man. I mean, I grew up in Connecticut. Uh, my real dad split when I was six months old. Uh, he left my mother and I just totally high and dry. I never heard from him again. I, I never saw him. I, I never knew who he was. Um, it was just me and my mom and living in my grandparents. And uh, my grandparents were immigrants from Ireland. And uh, it was just yeah, I, my memories of it were magical, and then my mother remarried um, to a guy who I would call my father, and uh, he was an extremely hardcore guy. And most of my upbringing after that was spent being called stupid and idiot and retard and moron every day. And that that is my, that is the memory of my upbringing with him and that i think is the reason that i i've you know been able to have a version of success uh that that skin that was created by my dad um gave me such a tolerance in business claudio that when the customer said you know don't call me again it didn't bother me right And the, <laughs> right. when the guys that I'm not going to do business with you, it was no problem I'd heard a lot worse in my life <laughs> so so I, I you know I mean that's 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 my interpretation of, of my upbringing it was um, it was great in a lot of ways and in all transparency it was it was terrible in a lot of ways too but that's that's not unlike a lot of people's you know upbringing too was, you know from, from bad comes a lot of good a lot of times
1: sure. You know, when you say that, I, I my parents were wonderful. I got to be honest with you. I, I had the best parents in the world, and I would not be doing what I'm doing today if it wasn't for my parents. I, I always say uh, a couple of years ago, I won an award. And the first thing I said was, if you ever see a turtle on top of a fence post, you know, he didn't get there alone. And my, my mm. parents were supportive and they were, they were crazy about me. But at the same time, you know, they were very, uh, if I went off the track just a little bit, you know, they made sure I was back on it. But I did have some family members who were not as nice and who were always putting me down, who always said I was going to be a bust. Time to quit baseball, grew up and be a man. It's your quit Buffalo and everybody. It's a pipe dream. And it hurt me. But after a while, and I'm assuming this happened to you after a while, the hurt turned into anger, turned into I'll show you. And I remember reading uh, on a sugar packet, uh, use your worst al- enemy to be your best ally. And I was not gonna let those people win. And I always say, as as important as my mom and dad were and I wanted to succeed and and make them proud of me, I wanted to show those people up. Is that something that you had in the back of your mind as well? Yeah, no question.
2: I I mean, I chased a lot of that for most of my my career. It was an extremely competitive um, lifestyle for me. I I had to beat everyone. Um, You know, everyone was a competitor um and to be honest with you for most of my business career uh that's how I looked at employees and I looked at company culture that way and I looked at competitors that way and uh you know while there was an element of success that came from it I think there was a lot of also uh limits that I created for myself too it wasn't until I began to get to the other side of that that uh, things really began to take off uh for me and in, in particularly in business um so, yeah, there's no question that there was a, a deep gut fire to prove everybody wrong, particularly my old man.
1: Sure. You know what, though, from from reading – and we might jump around here today because I have so many things that I want to ask you. but and, uh, and some questions will just pop into my mind. But from reading your books and, and listening to you speak, it seems like – and I always tell people – that I never put my hands behind my head and my feet up on the desk and say, I have it made. I always feel that I always have that sense of desperation because it's a quick trip from the penthouse to the outhouse. I mean, I I always worry that it's going to be over, you know, so I, I keep at it. I keep pushing, I keep pushing. Is that something that you're like, you never, I mean, I'm appreciative of things and I soak it in, but I always want more. Dan Marino always says you can do more. You can always do more. Is that something that you try to do?
2: Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, there's a there's a double edged sword on that, as we both know. But yeah, th- there's no question that my level of satisfaction is is pretty, uh, pretty small. I mean, I really feel like I'm just getting started in a, in a lot of ways. But, um, you know, when when you can be let down by someone that isn't supposed to let you down, i.e., a father figure, um, you know, there's a lot of shrapnel with that and uh and that's that's how i look at the early days was someone who should have coddled me maybe in, a, in, a, in the way that your parents i'm not saying your parents coddled you but supported you in in your endeavors at all times i don't remember having that and so um you know it, it created a tremendous uh guttural burning sensation and i just don't think that goes out for most people i think it stays with you forever
1: And in a way, I think it might be an advantage because, again, you don't let your guard down and you don't let up. I mean, I've seen some people when they've when they've reached a certain level of success, be it financially or their job title, and then they go on uh, cruise control. Uh, I I don't think that's something you'll ever do. And and you've done fantastically well, as we will talk about. But I don't think that's something that you're ever going to do. So in a way, that upbringing kind of helped you. Do you agree?
2: Totally agree. And. You know, that concept you're talking about, I define in the book, is false positive. Right. Where people right. begin to think they're doing better than they really are, you know? Right. And I find it, I think it's extremely dangerous for people to fall into that pulse, false positive.
1: For sure. Now, tell us what is commercial fleet financing and why did you start that business?
2: Yeah, uh, our business model is very straightforward and simple. We finance transportation equipment. Uh, for very blue collar industries, truckers, towers, construction guys, moving companies, when they buy fleet vehicles, we do the financing for them and we help them grow their fleets. Um, Very simple business strategy, but very difficult to get that business to scale, to get enough size, because it's a relatively low profit margin business, right? Lending money is, um, you know, it's it's a fairly commoditized business. So in order to make it with your energy you need scale and it took us a long time to get scale claudio i mean i, I started from nothing in a, in a one-bedroom apartment i was literally literally the only assets i had was a folding table a phone and a yellow pages and i literally cold called out of the yellow pages relentlessly hundreds of calls a day for years before we started to get a little bit of traction in a customer base uh, that would start to do repeat business with us. And, um, and, you know, we were able to, to pay the bills, but it was a long, slow grind. Um, but that's, to me, that's business ownership. I watch so many people now portray entrepreneurship or, or business ownership as some easy road to riches. It's not, at least it wasn't for me. And, for most of the successful people I know, it's, everyone has the same story. It was a long, slow burn.
1: And what made you start that particular business?
2: Well, I suppose similar to most uh, sales guys, uh, you know, I, I, I didn't like the guy I was working for and he transferred me uh, to Dallas, Texas to open up our first office in 1995. And uh, as soon as I got here, all of the things we'd agreed upon changed the business model changed the growth changed and i was basically left for dead uh here in texas i'd never been to texas i didn't know anyone i didn't have a friend literally i didn't have a friend of a friend i knew nobody and uh, and after about four months i left and and started my own version of commercial fleet i i had learned the business from this guy and uh and i left and started commercial fleet on a on a shoestring and um you know that's a positive and a negative. By the way, that that guy went on to sell that company that I worked for. He sold it to GE Capital, and then started another company. And two years ago, he sold that company for six hundred and sixty million dollars. So, was it the right decision to leave that guy? I don't know, but I left and started my own thing.
1: I think it is. I think it is, Rush, You wouldn't have been on this show, right? There you go. I love it. Now. Let's jump to the book, uh, which, again, I love the book. You Need More Money. I, the, the title just jumped out at me, and I've read it. I think well, I'm reading it again right now. It, you published it in 2018. I think this is my 12th time reading it, 11th or 12th. I'm not sure. Wow. But uh, I, I, I'm being dead serious, too. I'm not exaggerating. I, I read it over and over. But uh, number one, why did you write it? Who did you want to speak to?
2: Yeah, yeah, G- great question. That That story of you need more money is is uh as you know by reading it it's actually a different story than most people think when they when they pick up the book right, right. um it's really a very personal story that happened to our family you know, i've been married 22 years uh i was just madly in love with, with my wife and i hope she she feels the same about me but
1: i'm sure um
2: a- as much as as much as i know my wife loves me Uh, Her brother, uh, my brother-in-law, she loved more. And they were thick as thieves, Claudio. I mean, she worshipped the ground that he walked on. And therefore, I did too. And I loved the guy. And one day, he uh, wasn't feeling well. And he went to the doctor to get a little shot. You know, thought he'd go back to the office the next day. And he was diagnosed with stage 4 cancer at the age of 46 with a wife and four children. And as we were soon you know, to find out, he, he, um, he had no health insurance and no life insurance and a hundred bucks in the bank. And he died almost one year to the day of that diagnosis. And that is the crux of, of the book, You Need More Money. Why do, we, why do we need to spend more time and wake up to our current financial situation and the answer is because we never know when we may not be feeling well and we go to the doctor for a quick little shot and we end up getting diagnosed with stage four cancer and we can't take care of our family.
1: You know, that, that story stuck with me. That's the just hit me when I read it. And um, I, I don't know if scared is the right word, but it, it scared me or it motivated me. And, and one thing that kind of upsets me whenever I talk to – people, friends, or just regular people is when they don't know their finances. They don't know how much they have. They don't know how much they're, they're in their retirement. They don't know anything. And, and like, they don't care. But yet they know the batting average of their favorite baseball player. And that bothers me. It, it, it irritates me. And, and, I, and I have told people about your book. And I've told that story about John. It's like, it doesn't hit them. And I don't know if they're trying to, um, what's the word, fool themselves or They just really don't care. I know me, and and maybe this comes off wrong, and I I know you won't take it the wrong way, but I I tell people all the time, I am obsessed with making a buck, and I'm obsessed with keeping it and making it. I I just am. I've got to be honest with you, and not because I want to. I don't need anything. I don't want anything. I don't want to go anywhere. I mean, I I love my life, um, but I want to make damn sure that that my wife, uh, who I've been married to now for 23 years, yeah. Yeah, 23 years uh, as well. And, and, and my daughter, who's a sophomore at Pitt, I want to make sure that they have everything that they need. I, I remember, uh, Matt, they, my dad uh, used to work at a, a steel mill. And he also had a side business, a uh, landscaping business, which I own now on top of the coaching and everything else I do. But anyway, in 1969, he was, he was going to buy a piece of property. He was going to buy this small restaurant in, my, in our hometown here. And he got sick. He was told he was going to go blind, and he had emphysema. Uh, we had seven mouths to feed here. It was me, my mom. My dad's first wife passed when she was 32. He had two kids to her. I was the only one to my mom. But my sister was married, had her husband and their kids. So There was seven of us here. And it was on one paycheck. Uh, mm. And my, da- my dad couldn't work. Then he developed a phobia where he couldn't leave past our hedges. This is a guy who used to go to Italy every five minutes. And then he, he could not leave past our hedges. Um, and he got better and a little bit better. And I used to go with him to work. And, and I remember we used to pray all the time that my dad wouldn't go blind. I didn't know what emphysema was. But I, I said, please don't let my daddy go blind. And and Matt, he never went blind and he never had emphysema. Uh, you take it. Yeah, people Amazing. can take it. How they would, never had either one. But anyway, um, so he got back on his feet. We were fine. And there would be arguments on my porch. My, my mom, my dad, they wanted to give me an, an extra 20, not to spoil me, but just to make sure I had money in my pocket. And I used to say, I don't want it. I don't need it. Go buy good Go here. Just in case you want. My mom used to say, just in case you see an elephant that flies, it's an Italian thing uh, saying, just in case you see an elephant that flies, you'll be able to buy him. Right. So, yeah. So, and, and that always stuck with me. And I always wanted to make damn sure that my daughter and my wife were able to like, during this pandemic, which we'll get to in a little bit, when everything shut down, you know, by no means am I up on top of the hill and looking. And no, 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 I don't mean that at all. But thank God we we were OK. And I, and I felt so bad for people that were, were suffering and, and hurting. But like I said, whether it's right or wrong, I'm money is extremely important to me. That's why I do all the things that I do. And, and uh, it just drives me nuts when people don't take it as seriously as they do.
2: Yeah, I mean, I would encourage you to uh, remove the uh, potential thought process that there's anything wrong with that. I I think it's very right. And I think more people uh, need to look at it the way we're looking at it. I'm not doing it um, for for um, I mean, look, I'm a very low needs guy like you are. I mean, but uh, but I want my wife to be um, completely taken care of to to live the life that uh, that she wants forever and and I want to be able to help other people and that's the other element of the book claudio which is you know th- there have been no greater checks than I have been able to write in my life than to my brother-in-law and his family during that period of time of trying to remove the guilt that he had about his financial situation and the impending truth of if I don't get better, I leave them with nothing and that's how it played out. And so I wrote a little story that ended up getting uh, picked up by a, a group in New York and they said this story should be turned into a book. I, I tried to write the story just to cleanse my own feelings about this situation and and they're the ones who encouraged me to write You Need More Money and then um, It ended up getting picked up by, um, you know, by Penguin and Random House and and they ended up publishing it. And I'm very grateful for that. But I'm most grateful for the fact that, you know, every couple of days I get an email from someone telling me they read the book and they took some steps in the book and they feel a lot more secure in their financial situation. And um, and I tried to outline the same process that I took to to get financial security and which I believe, hell, if I could do it, anybody can do it. So I tried to give step-by-step approach of what anyone can do to, uh, to fix, uh, you know, being a little bit behind, which, which most of us are, most of us are financially behind.
1: Right. Well, when I, again, when I, when I read that you did that with with your money and you took care of John's family, that, that got to me uh, when I read that. And again, I, I had to read the book again, over after I first bought it because I kind of raced through it because I wanted to see what was next. Um, but which, which is a compliment to you and the book, but we're going to take a quick commercial break, uh, from people who are paying us. Matt. Uh, Roscoe Hearing and Allergy Care Center, Dom's Pizzeria and Sports Bar at 502 Cabot Avenue in Trafford, Pennsylvania. Call Dom at 412-372-3667. And criminal defense attorney Eric Jackson-Laurie with offices located in downtown Pittsburgh and Fox Chapel. Call Eric at 412-963-9308. And a couple quick notes. The Quaker Valley Rotary Club is hosting the 10th annual Anthony Colosimo Golf Outing. Anthony was a great guy. He passed away young. He was a friend of mine. But the, it's a golf outing June 11th at Beaver Valley Golf Club. It's a great event. Make sure you call Scott Zahner, who was on the show last week, the president of the Quaker Valley Rotary, at 412-720-0298. And my book is out, Lead from the Heart Up, Not the Neck Up, How to Create a Positive Winning Culture on the Field and in the Office. It's on sale now at my website, ClaudioRalsano.com, Amazon.com, JohnMelvinPublishing.com barnesandnoble.com, and it's also available at the Barnes & Noble Robinson Store and the Swickley Penguin Bookstore. We'll right back with Matt Monero. In the book, you mentioned an evening that you told your wife that things weren't as great as maybe you you led her to believe. Tell us a little bit about that and and how you turned everything around. That motivated you to turn everything around in a big, big way. Yeah,
2: I mean, I had uh, I had uh, not told my wife the truth about how financially behind we actually were. Um, you know, it wasn't. It wasn't, uh, Claudio, that we were buried in debt. It wasn't like, you know, we were going on fancy trips and, and, you know, spending everything we had to to sort of keep up with the Joneses. It was that we just didn't have it, right? The business was just struggling, and it struggled for a long time. And my wife was very understanding in the early days. (laughs) And then... She stopped me. <laughs> So understanding, particularly because I lied, I, I was lying to her about it. And, um, and she caught it. I mean, we had our electric turned off and, you know, it just, she just didn't buy my excuse anymore. And, and she, she began to say some things to me, Claudio, that the first time, you know, I didn't really, didn't really sink in, but boy, after she said it a few other times, it really, it really got to me. And she would say one day, she would say, you're so much bigger than your business, Matt. One day you're gonna realize it. And that was the night when I when I told her that we were we we were broke, that we, we just didn't have it. She she hit me with that line again and it just it just stabbed me in the heart. And I spent the night on the couch and I just said, you know, how 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 can I how can I how can I lie? How can I be this person to her? And I made a decision that minute, that night, I said, I'm going to turn this little company into a hundred million dollar a year business. And I went and I literally began to search for help. And I found a guy named Jim Renner and Jim Renner, he had retired, but at one time he was the president of Wells Fargo, the bank and their equipment finance division. And he had tremendous success there. And I asked Jim Renner, I fell on the sword and I said, please help me build a a strategic roadmap to get this company to a hundred million dollars. And he, he helped me with that over the next couple months. He helped me build out this roadmap and, and uh, he said it was going to take me three years to get it to that. And I had to do all these steps and, and and I did it in eighteen months, wow. and my entire life changed um, financially. And and it's hopefully an encouraging message to people that um, that everything can change. It's the current situation does not have to be the long term situation. And I remember Jim Renner when he laid out the plan. I remember like it was yesterday, Claudio. I was walking in the parking lot, and he and I were going over the spreadsheet. And the number at the bottom of the spreadsheet was uh, completely inconceivable to me that it could produce that net income. I, I just, I could not understand it. It was so out of my realm of, of comprehension. And I said to him, Jim, there must be a problem with the spreadsheet, right? So you can't be right at the bottom. And he said, you got it all wrong, buddy. You're looking at the bottom. You need to look at the middle. Can you execute on the middle, the work ethic, the rigor, the intensity of the middle of this roadmap? That's what you need to focus on. And, you know, that, that's a competitive nature for me. And I said, let's go. And, again, we did, we did that three-year plan in 18 months, and the company did $100 million. And um, and I never looked back. I, you know, I think, I think uh, this year – uh, we'll probably do 180 million dollars. So, you know, for that moment on, that was 2011, and that, you know, that changed everything for me from that moment on. So, it's been an incredible financial run for the last decade uh, after that. After that execution of that roadmap.
1: Now, with all you do, your you're business, your speaker, again, you do. Plenty of interviews, I'm sure. Your author, everything that you do, you have, you know, the podcast. Are there ever days? And then on top of that, you have to be a husband and a father. Your 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 kids are young. Uh, are there ever days, work wise, that you say, "Oh man, I I just don't want to do this today," but you do it anyway? What motive, Are are first of all, do you have days like that? And number two, what gets you going and say, "Okay, I got to do this." You know, I, I don't have many days like that
2: anymore claudio i can tell you i had a heck of a lot more days when we weren't doing 100 million bucks a year that's for damn <laughs> shit <laughs> um no I, I really don't have uh too many um too many days like that i mean in all transparency i do have those days and those feelings uh, when it comes to social media and posting and things like that i i find that a relatively low value activity. So I, I often have to remind myself to do more of that. Um, but, but as far as, you know, trying to be a great dad and a, and a good husband and a good friend and, and, you know, really be a, a great business owner. I really thrive on that stuff, but, um, you know, that gets easier with success, right? I mean, there's, this you know, there's less to complain about. Um, but, uh, But, boy, I sure had a lot of dark days, man, in the early days. Remember, I've been in business 25 years now. So, you know, I'm I'm sharing with you that the last 10 have been great. And if someone (laughs) reads between the lines
1: there, that means there were 15 years of struggle. And that's the truth. Right, right. Now, who were some of your role models when you were growing up? And maybe even now, I'm 56 and I still have, and you're one of them, uh, role models. I keep a list of names on my phone, I used to have an index card, but I've advanced, uh, my technology has advanced, but a, a list of names that uh, I've read their books or they're friends of mine, and they've had impact on my, on my life. And, and uh, who were some of those people for you? Yeah,
2: I can tell you, uh, growing up, I didn't have any mentors. Um, I, I never had a friend, a dad, a friend, dad, I never had a coach. Certainly my old man wasn't helping me with it. So I, I, I've been asked that question before and I, I can't, I can't cite one person that made a big influence, uh, in my life. And so I had to turn to books and like you, I'm 52. So we're of the same age where, you know, cassette tapes and Tony Robbins, personal (laughs) power and, you know, Brian Tracy and Tom Hopkins and Zig Ziglar and Tom Peters. I mean, I was, I was obsessed with taking in their information and and beginning to craft and retrain and re-record my own tapes and my own mindset but without question in in a business setting what really helped fuel my my scale um was I read the 10x rule by Grant Cardone I think it was sure. in 2011 and um that was the first time out of all the tapes and books I it, I literally understood every word he was saying about, you know, how things are 10 times harder and it takes 10 times longer. But mostly in that book, Claudia, what I got from that was that it's okay to just chase my potential and I no longer have to be comparing myself to everybody else. I really should just figure out what am I capable of doing. And that concept had literally was a completely foreign concept to me. I was so competitive about everybody else and how do I beat this guy and how do I prove that guy wrong? I never understood. I should be looking internally and saying, what am I capable of doing versus what do I have to prove to others? And that was a real game changer for me. And then I can tell you in 2015, I I met a guy who's become a tremendous friend of mine named Rick Sapio. Um, and Rick wrote a book called Who's in Your Room that I would recommend to everybody. And Sapio began to really help me understand principle and value-based decision-making, right? What do I stand for? What, what, what am I willing to tolerate? What am I no longer willing to tolerate in my life and the people within my life? And that, that began to really, I, I like to think, really shine the diamond a little bit for me. And it changed me as a leader, And as a business owner, because up to that point, I really ran my company with an iron fist and and we didn't have any real meaningful values in the organization. And and Sapio got me to really start to lead with value based decision making. And that has been a tremendous gift for me, um, where every decision I make now is value-based decision-making rather than dollar-based
1: decision-making. That's, that's a great answer. Uh, we're going to take another quick commercial break to hear from our sponsors, Roscoe Hearing and Allergy Care Center, Dom's Pizzeria and Sports Bar, and criminal defense attorney Eric Jackson-Lurie. And don't forget about my book, Lead from the Heart Up, Not the Neck Up, How to Create a Positive Winning Culture on the Field and in the Office. You can get it on my website and several other places. And don't forget, the Quaker Valley Rotary is hosting the 10th Annual Anthony Colosimo. Golf outing June 11th at Beaver Valley uh, Golf Club. Please call Scott Zayner, the president of the Quaker Valley Rotary, at 412-720-0298. We'll be right back with Matt Monero. first part, what would you, I've been around athletes all my life and I've seen, uh, as I'm sure you have, we all have a lot of them, uh, have lost millions and millions and millions of dollars. And, and I hate seeing that, that, that bothers me, but, uh, sometimes it's their fault. Sometimes people rip them off, but either way you lose the money. But what would you say to a group of athletes? If you had a hundred athletes in a room who have made hundreds of millions of dollars, you had 10 minutes with them. What would you say to them?
2: In regards to securing the finance. Yes. So
1: they don't lose it. Yes. You have hundreds of millions of dollars. Yes. I'm sorry. You have hundreds of millions of dollars. What, you know, what, what should you do with it? What shouldn't you do with it?
2: Yeah. I mean, first thing I would tell them is that uh, they have to understand the the rules of the game of money, right? Um, That, that no one is going to do a better job with their money than they should be able to do with their money. In other words, it's not good enough to just trust someone else's approach. Simply use your own gut and your own basic instinct as it, as it relates to investing that money. Invest in things that you know and you can understand. Even if it seems terribly simple, just take the time to educate yourself on where the money is being allocated. It's just not that difficult to figure out where you can make your money make you more money. So, for example, a very easy one is real estate. I'm involved in a lot of real estate deals. I've never flipped a house. I've never bought a piece of property. I've never had to rent a piece of property. I simply ride other people's coattails. I'm the limited partner. They're the general partner. And I get many of the benefits of owning real estate with these guys, but they do all the work. Right. It's easy, right? right. Is it in a good location? Can we put it, can we paint it? Can we make it look prettier? What do the rents look like right now? What do the rents look like if we bump them a little bit? How do we keep the tenants happy? How do we create more value for the tenants? It's not that difficult for me. Uh, real estate makes perfect sense and it feels very simple uh, to me, but I don't want to be the front guy on that. I'm already the front guy in my business, right? right, right. So I, I like to ride other people's coattails but I clearly understand the business that I'm going into with them. The second, the second thing I would tell them is if you choose to diversify and go into other avenues, you have to be an operator as well. You have to call the guys and ask the tough questions. How many times have you been in a room, Claudio, where you're sitting around and you're saying, should I ask this question? Like, is this question going to make me look dumb? Sure. Like, am, Is it going to be too simple for these guys? Every time I felt like that and I asked the question at the end of the meeting, somebody's like, boy, I'm really glad you asked that question. I was hoping somebody, I'm like, why am I the one that had to ask that question? How come you guys didn't bring it? Like it just, it's, it's basic stuff. Ask the difficult questions. How do we make our money again? How much do we need to generate in revenue? What's our profit margin going to be? How are we caring for the customer to get them to come back to us and do business with us again and actually give us referrals? I mean, it's really very s- simple and straightforward stuff.
1: Now, what would you say to a room full of athletes, a bunch of rookies, or even college players who are looking to, to make that kind of money? Would you say the same thing or something a little different? I think I'd tell
2: them, stay in the gym, keep your body real healthy. And and allow the machine to keep spitting out tokens for you, boys. Don't be worried about <laughs> diversifying right now. Just keep keep the contract in place, right? Let's keep the machine kicking out some tokens. Put them in a reserve account, as you know in the book. I'm a huge advocate of building up this reserve account. People right, right. have ref- have they've misunderstood it. They've referred to it as a savings account. It's not a savings account. It's a reserve account. It's an allocation of capital into an untouchable account that at some point in the future will be invested for only cash flow producing investments. And and that has been, you know, that has been a saving grace for me. Everyone should have this reserve account. And I actually in the book, as you know, I go through like all the rules of what that reserve account has to be, right? It has to be in a in a separate bank account that's difficult to get to. There could be that's no right. check writing capabilities, no debit card capabilities, no credit card capabilities. Like my reserve account is in a two branch bank that is open Monday through Friday, nine to five. I have to go to the bank to get my money. And you know how many times I've been on my way to the bank and then I change my mind and say, no, let me be a little bit more disciplined about it. And I never touch it. Because I make it hard to get my hands on the money.
1: Yeah, I, I, I like that a lot. There's a lot. I love the entire book, but uh, and I, I urge people to get it. But you know, like the doorman concept, I love that one. That, that meant a lot to me too, but I, I don't want to jump around here too much. But anyway, uh, now when the pandemic hit, the world shut down. Uh, how did this affect your business, uh, your lifestyle? Uh, how, how did it affect you? And, and how, how did you keep moving forward?
2: So I think it's important to remember I'm in Texas, right? And, and I grew up in Connecticut. You're from Pennsylvania. Yeah. Um, you know, Texas is like uh, Mars for guys like us, right? Like, like, you know, we think there's tumbleweed and, you know, right. longhorns walking on the streets, right? And in a way, it's like that. So <laughs> Texas, Texas never really fell victim to this ultimate shutdown, right? There's, this, there's, a, there's an element of freedom and independence down here. I, just before I jumped on the call with you, I was talking to a buddy of mine, a partner in another business that I'm in, and I'm, I'm up in a part of the city that I haven't been in a while. And I said, there is construction on every corner in this part of our city, like the, the amount of commercial building that's going on, the apartments, the houses, it's unbelievable. And so Texas was somewhat isolated from this idea that we have to shut down. So I took the, the approach that we are not going to shut down. I read the law of what was an essential business. Finance and transportation were treated as essential businesses So I immediately said, we're going to define commercial fleet as an essential business. I printed the law. I put it on our letterhead. I gave it to all of our employees. And I said, keep this in your car. If you happen to get pulled over on the way to the office, tell them that we're an essential business and therefore we're allowed to work. And so we never officially shut down our office. Now, we did very early on have someone come down with COVID. So we shut the office and moved everybody remotely, but we were back two weeks later. And not, not I didn't, this is pure luck. There's no strategic planning here. But when everybody went home to quarantine, they all went to Amazon and they all bought stuff that all has to be shipped on a truck. And so our business flourished and the demand for transportation in 2020 was through the roof. And so 2020 ended up being a record year for commercial fleet because the demand for transportation to deliver goods from an, from an online environment has never been better than
1: it, was, than it is right now. So we, we, we did great during the, during the, the pandemic. Good, good. You know, people, people, some people have called uh, some people the Netflix pajama group, which they watch Netflix and, and wore pajamas. And some people say that they're going to be better off on the end, other end of the lake because they're going to go at it even harder, which is what you did. And I, and I, and I tried to do. I wasn't just going to sit around. And, and But I do feel bad for people because it really bothered me um, when there was a where the Pittsburgh Penguins play at the PPG Center. There was a line four miles long cars next to each other to the food bank and that really bothered the hell out of me and and again it just made me think that the way i feel about money or the way i behave about it the way i go after it was is justified um and like i said uh, hopefully this thing will be over with people and people can get on with their lives but uh uh, but yeah, that that that's a great story for sure. Which you the way you, uh, your business moved forward. But um, something another thing that attracted me to you was how you always talk about your family, your wife and kids. So tell us a little bit about your wife and kids, and and uh, just just tell us about them.
2: Yeah, I mean, I you know as I mentioned earlier, my wife. Uh, we've been married 22 years together. 24. Um, I I do think I hit the the lottery in that in that uh, you know that category. Um, uh, my wife is uh, is very tough. Uh, her name is Rocky R O K K I on her birth certificate as Rocky, and she's tough as nails. And um, <laughs> and uh, and we have uh, we have been blessed with three incredible kids. Uh, my oldest son uh, John is at West Point, and uh, my uh, middle son uh, Jack is a sophomore in high school, and my youngest son uh, Julian is a freshman in high school. And uh, the, these three boys are. Um, are, are tremendous young men who have uh, made our parenting job a heck of a lot easier than I know it is for a lot of people. We, we, we really lucked out with three amazing kids. That's and I great. know you have one daughter who, who yeah. obviously you love uh, you know more than life itself, and it sounds like you're very proud of her too. I,
1: I am. and we named her after my mom, who unfortunately uh, as I said I mentioned my parents all the time. Uh, at the end of the, this show, I always thank my parents. I try to honor them every way possible. But one of the ways I honored my mom was naming my daughter after my mom, Ida. And, uh, yeah, she's a sophomore at Pitt. She's in the color guard, which we love going to the games and watching her perform. And I'm more nervous watching her, you know, <laughs> doing her march and her flag than whenever I coach a game, you know, because I can't control that. But, uh, yeah, so we feel the same way. We're very blessed uh, uh, you know what? Like I said, great parents, great wife, Linda, great daughter. Hell, I, I even had a great dog. You know, so I've I've overachieved uh, for sure. But um but Claudio, so,
2: I'd like to ask you a question if you don't sure, mind.
1: Sure, of course.
2: I mean, what are you seeing with this the the young men that you're coaching? Right at a at a, a obviously a spectacularly academic, challenging school. I mean, what what? How do you get these these young, what do you see about the upcoming generation when it comes? I mean, we're, you and I are talking about sort of old school work ethic and and you know character and all that stuff. What are you seeing in the value system of the young kids?
1: I have to be honest with you. You know, you said that your three kids make your your job and and Rocky's job easy. Just like my daughter makes our job easy as parents. My guys, I've been coaching now thirty eight years. Um, I've been sixteen at Carnegie Mellon, and I've been so blessed to have wonderful people to coach. As a matter of fact, that's one of the things that motivated me to write my book. Um, one time, it was in 93, I was coaching a game, and it was a back-and-forth game. This story's in the book. I, I'll send you the book if you'd if you if you'd like. Oh, please. I love it. And, and, um, uh, and after the game, the guys were congratulating me and slapping high-fives and hugging me, and it was just a regular season game, and I remember – in my office, I said, why do these guys like me so much? Why do they listen to me so much? And it hit me that I, they know that I care for them and that I'm approachable. But the other thing is I can be the greatest guy in the world. If they don't want to listen to hell with it. You know, like I had great math teachers in in school, but uh, you know, math isn't one of my stronger subjects. was it their fault. No, it was me. So I I don't give myself the credit for uh, that. I give the players credit because number one, they're good people. And, and sure, obviously, they're good players, but I, I've been lucky because, uh, again, I, I I just go back to being good people in my book and you'll read it. At the end, I had about 27, 28 players write a testimonial for me. I said, write whatever you want, as long as you want. And I was blown away that the things that they remembered, some of my quotes or some of the things that I did for them. And it, it all goes to that. It's it's on them. The, if, if they're good people, why we say in real estate, what's the three most important things? Matt, good location, good location, good location. I say the three most important things in business and sports in life is good people, good people, good people. If you have good people, yeah. man, you have a shot to go all the way. And uh, they make my job easy. So the guys that I've coached all the year, all these years, not just the CMU, but the other spots, they had goals on the field and goals off the field. And they were always respectful. I mean, there's maybe one or two guys here and there. You know, that's going to happen. But. I've been lucky, but I've seen other kids with other programs or what have you that maybe that's not the case for whatever reason. But um, my guys at CMU, they work incredibly hard. As you said, it's a very demanding school, but they really give me everything that they have. Um, They 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 just give me everything they have. They're respectful. They listen. uh, We have fun together. And and, and what I want for, for when they leave. Our team, our school, but especially our team, our program, I want them to be upset. I want them to say, man, I, I, I wish I could have had another year with Coach. I wish I had another year with the team. And uh, when, I, when I hear that, then I know I did my job. And I keep in touch with so many of the guys, and, and they know who I am. They know what I am because, you know, yeah, okay, I coach them in baseball, but it's going take. they're going to be people a hell of a lot longer than they're going to be able to hit or throw a curveball. So, and they know that they're more important to me as people first than players. So I think when they come to me at first, I don't mean to make such a long answer out of this, but they're not used to somebody showing emotion the way I do. They're not someone Mm -hmm. or a coach used to showing, uh, again, emotion or caring for them. Maybe at first they said, what the hell is this guy about? But then after a while they behave that way as well. And, um, so I, I've been blessed beyond belief. I, I, I've had a good mm. group of guys for sure. I and hope and you answered feel that.
2: good. Well, you feel good that the the upcoming generation has the work ethic and they have the ability to visualize success and all of that is what I'm hearing from
1: you, too. Well, I don't like to put a blanket on anything um, because I'm sure there's a lot of kids that aren't like that. I mean, um, but I've been fortunate not to to, to coach those type kids. Um, And if I did, and if I did, Matt, I would be very honest with you. I would be very honest with them. And if they were off track, I would try to try to put them back on track because I I tell my daughter all the time, you know, I've had a great life. But like you said, you know, you said about 15 years of of hell work wise. uh, I've been through hell, too. I've had, again, people that backstab the hell out of me who I cared for. Um, My mom, my mom passing away in my arms, you know, my dad, uh, my best friend as well, who that was a tough time that he went through when he you know passed away. So if people feel entitled or people feel that they don't have to work hard or if people don't focus on what they're doing or whatever the case is, I try to handle it pretty damn quick to show that and I give them a ton of examples on hey, you know life isn't what you think it is you know you're going to have to turn it up. It's a phrase I use all the time turn it up and um, so to say that this generation or younger kids, Again, I I can only tell you how my guys are and how my daughter is, but if I do come across that, I can promise you that I will try to fix it as much as possible because, again, my job is not only to to teach them baseball. uh, It's very important for me to have impact on them off the field as well. Well, I think that's
2: the evolution of of, uh, business right now too, Claudio, is that that type of approach – is not just required on the field it's required in the office too the great companies show the greatest care to their employees and some get it and some don't but boy as you've experienced man when you really build trust through honesty and transparency and care it's 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 magic it's just it's just one of the greatest feelings ever
1: It, it is and real quick Uh, again, I don't want to give the whole book away. uh, And it's, this isn't about me, but I do have to tell you, there was a game several years ago that we were, it was a back and forth game again, and we were losing. And the guys in the team said, don't worry, coach, we'll get them. And then they said some other things and they got me so choked up that Mm. I, the last inning and we won the game. I don't know if I called a signal. I don't know if I said anything. (laughs) I didn't do anything. I was gone. I was really gone. And we won the game and, You know, I I get choked up even thinking about it now. The way those young men behaved uh, with me, and and the things they said to me, and um, and and I really, you know, my dad used to say, "You're going to attract more bees with honey than you will with mustard." You know, they know that I care. And Dick Vermeil, the Super Bowl-winning coach who was on our show as well, uh, the theme of the book is what he used to say: that your your players, your employees, they won't care how much you know until they know how much you care. If you show them that you care. They'll go through the wall, underneath it, over top of it, over the side. So, um, and I think a lot. And I also wrote in my book that you know, again, it's on the field and in the office. These these uh, principles that I apply and I write in the book, it's not just for on the field. You know, people are people. People want to be treated well. They want to be treated with respect. And uh, and there was times that I was treated like garbage, and I didn't like it. So why should any of my players or people that? you know, do work with me. Why should, why would they like it? You know, and some people real quick, I'm sure you remember Vince Lombardi and they used to say how tough he was, but if you listen to those players talk about him to this day, they cry over that man because he showed sure he was tough, but he also loved them very much.
2: Yeah. I love, there's a, there's a a story I remember hearing about Lombardi where some of his players would, you know, he would just, he would just beat them to death during the practice and then, they'd be walking off the field and saying, that's it, I'm quitting. I can't stand this guy. And then he'd run up to him and tap him on the butt and say, boy, you were awesome out there today. And they would just just want to run through fire for him again, you know?
1: Yeah. Well, well, Kramer, who just made the Hall of Fame a few years ago, uh, Jerry Kramer, he said that uh, Lombardi every day, you're not good good enough. You got to do this. You got to do that. Then one day, you know, he said, I, this is, I'm just not good enough to play. And Lombardi went up to him and put his hand on his head. And he said, you know, you have the chance to be the best guard in the NFL. And when he said that, he said, that was it. That did it for me, you know? So, but again, I've been lucky to have good people. They've made my job easy and um, uh, it, it's been a, a blessing to, to have these young men in my life. And like I said, fortunately, some of them are my best friends. I have one guy who I mentioned on the show all, all the damn time. Vince Kaplack. He's my best friend. I've coached him. I was 23. He was uh, 17 when I coached him, his brother, Nick, one of my best friends as well. So I have been, uh, fortunate to, to have those people in my life and hopefully they feel the same way about me. But, uh, yeah, so we, we oh, have, sorry,
2: we have a, uh, we have a, um a big six foot by six foot smiley face graphic in our office on the walls. And it says your personal happiness matters here.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I like that. That's right. And it does.
2: It does. We, I need our team needs to care about your personal happiness. And it was hard for my management team to get their head around that in the early days. And I kept reminding them that graphic is the secret sauce of our company. Don't lead with that graphic. Don't. The values are awesome. We have four amazing values. But that graphic is the secret sauce of our company.
1: I remember one time we were playing a game. I love that. We were playing a game and the other team was arguing with the coach. and The coach was hollering at the players and the players were arguing with each other. And we won the game, of course. But at the end of the game, uh, my players presented me with a birthday cake. And here we are eating it was a birthday cookie here we are eating a birthday cookie and here those guys were ready to kill each other <laughs> so, but uh so matt you know w- what's next for you i mean you, you do so many things are you going to write another book are you going to get into politics is that something that you might that might interest you uh what is next for you you know
2: i have no interest in uh, in politics
1: smart um, <laughs> I
2: I, I, I honestly I I think that system is very broken. Um, I actually think our I think our country is going to be facing some very difficult times if that if our political situation doesn't doesn't change. I mean, um, uh, I also think our our media is 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 very problematic, too. I'm not even sure where we we as a population go to get trusted information anymore. It's, it's, It's very, very challenging. But uh, look, I mean, I have some decisions to make at commercial fleet, right? Uh, are we going to? You know, we we get approached. Uh, we get approached often now for for acquisitions and and to be acquired. And you know, I'm going to have to make that decision soon. But I have a wonderful team, an incredible management team that that runs the day to day operation for me. And to be perfectly frank with you, the majority of my interest right now is. In in my last two boys, as you must know, with your daughter and anyone listening with young kids, the time goes by so fast, really does. And so, you know, my oldest is, you know, he's he's out. He's he's gone. And and, I have a a, a friend uh, who wrote a book called 18 summers that I would I would highly recommend. It was written by my friend Jim Shields. And he argues in the book that we basically have 18 summers with our children. And how are we going to spend them? Right. And yeah. so, uh, you know, I want to spend a, I want to spend a tremendous amount of time, uh, with my boys. Um, I want to make sure that my marriage is, is as tight and as strong as it could possibly be, which I do think it is. And then, um, and then I, I'm going to have to make a financial decision here on, on what happens with the company. I, I'm not, um, I'm not someone who thinks that, uh, my boys should uh, should should take over the company. There will be an exit. I will not be leaving the organization to my boys. They're going to have to figure out their own route. Um, I'm not interested in in giving them any sort of a silver spoon. Um, and so, you know, I'll have a financial decision to be made with the, with the company, and um, and I want to make sure that I just squeeze the lemon of the last few years that I have with my my last two um to the fullest extent because it's sure. gone by so damn fast
1: it's sure uh, it's you know we see little kids babies and buggies and i tell my wife all the time i tell my daughter too i said that that was us like a year ago you know and she's i said to me 20 in may and it's like what the hell where where did this time go you know yeah. unbelievable and it's it's yeah. i try to enjoy each stage as i know you do and we, we try to I, I know in the book, you talk about, you know, having dinner with your family, which is very important to us as well, or going out or doing something together. And, um, but, uh, you know, it, it just, it, it just goes fast way too fast, but you know, with, the hell yeah. can we do yeah. but uh last thing we have the eric jackson lorry final word eric jackson lorry criminal defense attorney with offices located in downtown pittsburgh and fox chapel call eric at 412-963-9308 he's another great dad he's always doing things with his kids he's a wonderful person as well matt but uh so for some quick questions for you quick answers favorite athlete of all time growing up
2: you know, I was a huge uh, Lawrence Taylor fan. I, I just, the, the intensity that he brought to the field was uh, was incredible uh, for me to watch. I, I loved his anger on the field and, and I really, I really enjoyed watching LT by the way. I also, uh, you know, I, I also love redemption stories, you know, and that's a guy who's trying to, who's trying to finish strong. Right. I mean, right, uh, right. things got very haywire for him and he's trying to finish strong. And I, I, I you know, I, I used to say, Claudio, that a zebra can't change its stripes, right? And I, I now look at that saying as, it's not true. Zebras can change their stripes, man. People can people sure. can reinvent themselves, right? We can go from, from good to bad, and we can go from bad to good. So... Um, you know, I, I, I that was a long answer to what was no, supposed no. to be a quick answer. But.
1: That's okay. No, I loved it. I'm full of long answers, as you probably know by now. <laughs> did you ever want to? Did you ever meet someone that you always wanted to meet? No. <laughs> okay, that was a quick. That was a quick answer.
3: <laughs> okay. Who no. did you
1: want to meet that you didn't meet? Besides me, you know, I I think
2: (laughs) I think uh, and to this day, I still think I would I would really and I've entertained the idea of buying that lunch with Warren Buffett that he sells every year. Yeah, yeah, I think I think I think he would be I think his ability to to stay as simple and humble um, as he has is very, very intriguing to me, especially now in this environment where everybody thinks they have a story to tell. And that their story is worthy of being listened to, right? It's like, I think 99% of people really haven't done enough to tell a story yet, right? They, they still gotta put some more work into it before sure. they should expect anybody to listen to them. So,
1: so, Favorite. I, 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 I'm, sorry. Yeah. Yo, I'm sorry. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, I'm sorry. Go ahead.
2: Well, I, I hate to be, um, I, I really do. When I look back, Claudio, I, I really wish someone had been in my life that would allow me to provide you with a different answer i i i have a deep sadness about that 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 i don't i don't feel as though someone was that person for me and i do try to be that for 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 other people i i think i have a talent for recognizing talent and i want to do more of that
1: well, you know what? You you are somebody that I know a lot of people, including myself, would love to meet. And you've had impact on that. that that's for sure. So you're to be commended for that. Last question. Favorite uh, singer or uh, two questions. Favorite singer and favorite TV show.
2: You know, my, my favorite singer is not a, not a singer at all. It's uh, it's it's. Uh, David Foster, the composer. Oh, sure, sure, yeah. You know, I'm fascinated by that guy. I mean, he is. You know, I mean, the the amount of hits that he has had. Okay. Quincy Jones is along the same lines, right? Sure. Where
1: right? Mm-hmm.
2: How could these guys have reinvented themselves decade after decade after decade to really understand the pulse of what's going on? Those guys really um, intrigue me. Um, and uh, what was the what was the last favorite, question there? Favorite favorite TV show. Look, I love these crazy Alaskan shows where these people <laughs> live these subsistence lifestyles in Alaska. You know, they got to fish for their they fish for their food and kill caribou and <laughs> eat in tents. I love I love that stuff. I know I could never do it, but I'm fascinated that people choose to put themselves in that much of a hardship to to try to get by on this planet. I love that <laughs> stuff. All
1: right. Matt, I cannot tell you what an honor and a thrill it was to have you on the show. Uh, I love the book. Like I said, you've had impact in my life and anybody who's read this book, and I urge people to get it. You Need More Money, Wake Up and Solve Your Financial Problems Once and For All by Matt Monero, because as I said, my mom used to always say, never speak from the neck up, speak from the heart up. And this book was written, not with your hands or your fingers, but definitely, or even your mind, it was written with your heart. And uh, I can't thank you enough for being on the show today. Thank you so much.
2: Thank you too, Claudio. It was great.
1: All right. Thank you so much. Okay, everyone. Uh, that was a great interview. Like I said, I was really looking forward to that. I uh, hope you enjoyed it. And I, I know you will, um, as always want to thank Rick Mitchell and Adam Zalouf uh, for everything that they do. Don't forget about My, uh, my book lead from the heart up, not the neck up, how to create a positive winning culture on the field and in the office. You can get it at my website, amazon.com, John Melvin, Barnes and Noble and Robinson township and the swiftly penguin bookstore. And um, uh, obviously, thank our sponsors, uh, Dom's Pizzeria and Sports Bar, Roscoe Hearing and Allergy Care Center, criminal defense attorney Eric Jackson-Lurie. And as always, thank you, mom and pop. Talk to you guys soon.
0: Thank you for listening to The Claudio Rosano Show brought to you by Roscoe Hearing and Allergy Care Center. Be sure to tune in next time on ClaudioRosano.com.
4: a143750455